Growing up in a small town in Massachusetts during the 1970s was, well, magic. The town of Maynard was the quintessential small town with an actual center. There was a fountain drugstore where you could get flavored Coke. There was a paper store that had every magazine you could imagine and all kinds of actual paper and art stuff. There were coffee shops and restaurants where everyone could go and talk about the latest town gossip. More on that later. There was a fancy makeup store that was very expensive, and if you went in there, a lady with bright lipstick and too much eyeshadow would follow you around watching your every move. And yes, a Woolworth's Five and Dime. If you don't know about the Five and Dime, it was a treasure chest of stuff that as a kid, you could actually buy. Back in the day, it was like a convenience store that sold a little of everything. Okay, they called it Five and Dime, or I think it became Woolworths after that. I think you go back to the old days where everything cost a nickel and dime, but my era, like, you could get, like, you know, household goods, and if you needed, like, thread or buttons, I mean, you could buy anything you, you wanted. Uh, I bought one- fish there. Everything was pretty inexpensive. They even had a section in the back where you could buy small pets and bring them home without permission, which accounts for the many goldfish and gerbils we raised. Like every small town, there were many rumors and urban myths that circulated. None were as exciting as the ones about the recording studio called Northern Recording Studio. Located above the Five and Dime, this studio helped launch some of the biggest names in music, like the Cars, the Talking Heads, and Boston. They all recorded there. Or at least, that's the rumor I heard. Good morning, world. Good morning to you. My name is Danielle Mannion, and this is Above the Five and Dime. Above the Five and Dime is a podcast that explores the myths and realities about a small recording studio with a big story. The studio is based in my town from the 1960s through the 1980s. I grew up and still live in the small town of Maynard, Massachusetts. I'm what you might call a townie. The studio was always an exciting mystery to the kids and even the grown-ups in Maynard. Rumors spread like wildfire about who had recorded there. But over the years, it seems like the town has forgotten about it. We are a small mill town surrounded by some very wealthy communities, and we sometimes have an inferiority complex. I'm on a quest to help our town remember, feel proud of, and acknowledge its place in music history. My quest began when my son Jay asked me if I had ever heard of Northern Recording Studio. Jay is a 24-year-old musician. And I remember hearing it from a classmate of mine in high school who likes the talking heads and, you know, eventually told me about Aerosmith or I found out that they recorded there too. And I've had some other friends who are musicians that have recorded there. And just to hear about all that, that was insane. And I wish I it was still around. His love of rock music extends beyond just playing it. It's his life. He became obsessed with classic rock. And when he found out about the recording studio, he was inspired to hone his craft and he learned some of the songs by bands who we had heard recorded there. I definitely cover a lot of the bands that have played there, and including the, some of the songs like Psycho Killer by the Talking Heads. They recorded a live 
version of that song on their album, The Name of This Band is Talking Heads. I was curious, do people in town actually remember the studio? I took to the streets to see what I could learn. I remember being in the sixth grade. Everybody loved Michael Jackson. And there was a rumor that he was at Northern Studios recording an album. And we absolutely believed that it was true. It wasn't true. But then I walked into Oliver's wand shop. Yes, we have a wand shop. It's like a Harry Potter store. And I met Frank Hinckley. I may have been there back in the 70s with some friends. I was at a recording studio in Maine somewhere, and that could have been it. And I, it's rumored that Aerosmith used to play there or record there or something. There were some local guys that later became the Cars. And there was a local band with Tom Yates and Glenn Evans. Uh, and a fellow named Estes. So at this point in my research, I did what any curious and slightly impatient person does to find out more. I posted on Facebook. I got flooded with close to 50 responses offering information and leads. People wanted to learn more. Robert Casella, or Curly as I know him, was an old friend, and I had no idea what his dad did. My memory is vague because I was just a little taut. But I do remember being inside the studio as a little kid. It was great to be able to run around up and down the halls, but you had to be really quiet because, you know, they were recording. So that was Curly. And now we're going to bring in his mom to help us fill in the gaps of how the recording studio started and what exactly was the name. So what I remember it being is Wayside Records. And that, I don't know if it was... That was just the the, record company. the, The label? The label, okay. yeah, and publishing company, Back yep. Bay Music. Okay. And then the recording studio was Natural Sound. I did not know that. Yep. It's a good thing we had this chat. His dad's name was Louis Casella Jr. He passed away, I think it'll be six years in June. His title was president. And then again, George Donald was the owner. And he pretty much, you know, let my dad run things the way he wanted, but my dad got in trouble because he'd do free demos for these up-and-coming artists with the understanding that, hey, if you guys, you know, make it big, you got to come back and do all your recording here in Maynard. And, uh, of course, none of them ever did, but one of those guys was Jay Giles. Some of the other artists I remember, um, Jack and Misty Moore, Jack Blanchett, she just passed away last year. But they had a couple of pretty good stuff. He specials. had a number one hit on the The song was called Tennessee Birdwalk. It's a 1970 novelty single by the country music husband and wife duo Jack Blanchard and Misty Morgan. The single was their second release on the country charts and it became their most successful single. Tennessee Birdwalk went to number one on the country charts for two weeks and spent 16 weeks on the charts. I remember when my, my dad um, dis- actually designed like the mixing boards and it was pretty state-of-the-art back then. And then I remember after um, after he wrapped up at the studio, we started going out across the country 
building soundboards for people. And, and I remember Ike and Tina Turner was yeah. one. Yeah. My dad was on the road a lot promoting the studio. Um, radio stations. Radio station interviews, yeah. And then they'd play some of the songs from Wayside Records. I think the next step for us is to maybe hear from some people who've recorded there. I reached out to Alan Estes. Alan Estes was part of a band called the Estes Boys. He worked with Tammy Wynette, Lori Morgan, and Shania Twain. Alan is also well-known in New England for his folk music, with a particular focus on the Fishermen of Gloucester. The compilation record that we made uh, called Standing Room Only, SRO, done out of um, live recordings, Jonathan Swift's in Cambridge, was all mixed and mastered there and and, um, overdubs fixed and all that kind of thing too. So it was kind of the state of the art studio for the Boston area and greater Boston area at the time. One of the things Alan told me about was the actual size of the space. (laughs) Well, I've been racking my brain a bit. There was plenty of room there. That was always kind of fun. They had great sound, great engineers, and they gave us good rates and We'd be loading equipment in as the cars were loading equipment out. They were called Richard and the Rabbits then, but it was still with Ben and, and Rick. We'd say, hey, how you doing? And blah, blah, blah. And, you know, have a little bit of overlap time. So we'd listen to something they'd been doing or and vice versa. But our first few singles came out of there. My memory serves me. The cars were definitely an important part of the story of Northern Recording Studios. They basically formed there. Tom Yates has had a successful career as a musician. He's played all over New England with a band and solo. Okay. <laughs> all right. My name is Tom Yates, and I'm from Hudson, Mass. And I play the guitar and bass and sing, sing and I've been a professional musician since about 1968. <laughs> well, um, you know, I was upstairs from the 5 and 10, just basically one big room. I mean, there was a there was a control room that was separate. He even recorded a couple of times with Rick Ocasek and Ben Orr of The Cars. Everybody seems to have a car story. Here's his. With, you know, Kasich and Orr, I think it was just two days. Those songs are actually on uh, YouTube. If you were to look up Kasich and Orr, a couple of them are on, on YouTube. So you could, you could hear them. And what did you play? I played electric guitar. You know, Rick Kasich was playing uh, acoustic guitar. Greg Hawks, who was later in the cars, was also on that playing keyboard and some uh, saxophone also, I think. And this guy, Glenn, played the drums. <laughs> you know, they, you know, they used to go around, you know, they used to walk around sort of dressed up like rock stars all the time, you know? Like I would run into, I ran into them on the street one time in Boston and they were, you know, all decked out and, you know, like the kind of stuff that you would wear on stage. And I, 
you know, they worked really hard at it. I remember thinking that Rick's songs which were like very simple songs, which they were, but that was that was one of the strengths really, I guess. You know, he was able to write these catchy, you know, kind of simple songs, but you know, they you'd wind up, you know, singing them in your head for the next couple of days after you heard them, you know. The Cars were one of the first bands to merge the guitar-centered rock with synthesizer pop that became the 80s sound. They started as Richard and the Rabbits, then became Cat and Swing, and finally The Cars. Songs like Just What I Needed and Shake It Up are still overplayed on the radio today. The recording studio is credited with doing some of the first recordings of the band Boston. Guitarist Barry Gaudreau explains the early recordings. Natural Sound was the first time I went in a recording studio where we really had some, some good results. It was back in, uh, I don't know exactly the date, I know it was either late 1969 or very early in 1970. You know, Tom Charles had written uh, a song called uh, San Francisco Day, and we went in uh, and recorded that with uh, <clears throat> Jim Mazdia playing drums. Uh, Tom played bass guitar, and I played guitar. And we had a lead singer who's called himself Rabbit. And uh, I don't know what happened to him, honestly. I don't know if I ever really knew what his name was, but <laughs> that, that was the band. And... Uh, we actually got a really good result. I remember telling my roommates, oh, I went in a recording studio, so this is going to be great. And, you know, they knew I played guitar. They saw me playing guitar, but they didn't really expect any, any real results. Then I brought home a reel-to-reel tape, put the song on and, and played it for them. And honestly, I think they were shocked at uh, how, how good it sounded. And obviously that, that song was you know, later rewritten and ended up in that, that first Boston record. All of the songs on More Than a Feeling were recorded and mixed at Tom Schultz's Hideaway Studio. Except for the piano on A Man I'll Never Be, which was actually recorded at Northern Studio. And that's why they get that credit. So what do we know so far? There was a bunch of different names for it. Everything from natural sounds to Great Northern Recording Studio to Northern Recording Studio, and there was Wayside Records. I had to get into the space. It was time to visit it. This is the part I've been looking forward to the most, I think, walking up those big steps and going above the five and dime. It's now an architectural firm, and the owner, Tim Hess, agreed to meet with me. Hello. This is nice really great. You, yeah, come on in. These right here are the northern lights. The windows face north. You know, as far as I can tell, it went through a couple different names. And some of them, at least one of them was northern light. Not plural. Northern light recording studio. Oh, I didn't know that one. We used huh. to get mail for them. It's been a while since we got any of their mail. But we have gotten some mail. 
He was right. In the 1960s, it was natural sound, but around 1974, it became northern light. It was brief, though, because the records show that in 1974, Peter Kasperson and Bob Runstein opened Great Northern Recording Studio. Great Northern Recording Studio was around from 1974 to 1976. Their claim to fame was Jonathan Edwards. I had never heard that before. And in 1976, that's when Bill Reisman and David Butler take over and form Northern Recording Studio. And it's at Northern Recording Studio that we have Andy Pratt, Reddy Teddy, the Tommy Bolin Band, Thunder Train, Talking Heads, Boston, Aerosmith, Cars. They also did a ton of live recordings at the Rat Skeller in Boston. The Rat, as most people called it, was a really cool club that was open from 1974 until 1997. We found this somewhere once, too. I got <gasps> my glasses. Oh, my gosh. What is that? Don't even know. Don't Northern even know. Light, and it's a CDR. I mean, it, it's a CD. You want to take it and play it's it? it's so and let us know funky. What's on it? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. He handed me a CD or a CDR. There was nowhere to play it, but there was definitely something on it. I brought it home with me, and I'll let you know what happened later. But let's get back to Tim. It struck me as incredibly cool and kind of romantic, the idea, you know, I'd, setting up a new studio, I want to have feel great vibes and feel good about my work. And it was sort of hard to find anything that really felt to me like proof. The thing that, that I felt most certain of was the track listing on the name of this band is is uh, Talking Heads because it said Northern Studio and that kind of corroborated the mail that we had received. You know, there is some cultural gravity and kind of history and legacy of this place. For me, it's like the Talking Heads is the, is the core of my enthusiasm for it. Uh, their recording session here was like November 17th, 1977. And we found that out in what we thought might be just enough time to kind of recognize a 40th anniversary in 2017. I was talking with the guy who was the assistant town manager at the time, who turns out to be a far bigger David Byrne fan than, than I am. And Andrew was like, you know what? I'm going to find his people. We're going to call him. We're going to make a case for it. I know he's into urbanism. I know he's into walkability and he's all about his bicycle. and He's going to want to know what we've been doing here in Maynard. They're going to want him to be here to help us celebrate the 40th anniversary. I was like, God, I hope you're right. I can't believe you would be. Sadly, David Byrne and the Talking Heads did not come back to Maynard to celebrate their 40th anniversary of the album. But I sure do love Tim's spin on it. But, you know, I don't know. I think it's even, it's almost more fun to have stories like that. You know, yeah, we really called... David Burns people. Did he show up? No, he didn't. But he took me on a tour of the part of the building that nobody really uses. Wide open. Um, we can go up there now if you want. Yeah, let's That's go now. Cool. So this ceiling is dropped um, almost five feet from an old tin ceiling, pressed ceiling above it. And you can almost fit like a little John Malkovich floor in there. into the theater or the recording studio. It was up another set of stairs. 
It was probably where the control room was. I don't know what this is. Pretty wild. Yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool space, actually. He told me some oh. great stories. One in particular was about the Rolling Stones. Yeah, it's right on this wall, just inside the, the, uh, the first door. I and what did he tell thing. you? He's talking about the owner of a coffee shop in town called Babico's. He said that Keith Richards had painted that painting while he was like complaining that Mick and the boys are taking too long finishing something up in the studio. Here's what I mean about culture. Like, culture is those stories. And the, to, to have a place with a thriving culture is to have people that tell those stories to each other. Whether it happened or not, I don't care that much about. Oh, what a nice view of Maynard. Yeah, isn't it great? That's <laughs> really cute. I love the space back here. It's, uh, I think it represents one of Maynard's greatest opportunities. We've got this concentricity. Mm -hmm. This is not about music at all. <laughs> but we have this triangle, this kind of yep. concentricity yep. that it's... is like the epicenter of this dense little downtown. Yeah, my, my grandparents. Maynard in the 70s was really cute and magical and a wonderful place to grow up. But I think Maynard in 2022 is just as magical in its own way especially with people like Tim Hess as a business owner in town. Oh, and by the way, in case you're wondering, that CDR that Tim gave me, I was hoping it was filled with old pictures somebody had archived, but it was a lighting plan. Before I left the architectural firm that was Northern Recording Studios, I took a look around, and I wondered what this young, mostly male, band of musicians were thinking about as they recorded their music. Did they somehow sense that they were on the precipice of greatness? Could they have predicted their fame, wealth, and sometimes troubled futures? Or were they just a bunch of kids passionately playing rock music with all of their heart and blissfully unaware that they would become the icons of classic rock? In my next episode, we're going to be talking about Aerosmith another local band that made it really big. Do you still listen to them today? Were they part of your childhood? Leave me a comment. Let me know what you think about Aerosmith. You might make it into the podcast. Thanks for joining me as we go above the five and dime and explore the musical soul of my town, Maynard, Massachusetts, and Northern Recording Studios. <laughs>